I was deeply moved in the first service when I heard that song. Moved to, to worship the holy God. It was equally so in this service. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, all of the praise team, for sharing with us uh, your hearts this morning. You know, it's a, it's a good time to say, for those of you, if it's your first time here, and I know that it is for a lot of you, it's a good time to say that we take seriously worshiping God. We take seriously the Word of God. We take Jesus very, very seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously, if you understand what I mean. It's casual in attire, casual sometimes in our interaction with one another. And I have been known to attempt a joke or two uh, from time to time. But we take very seriously worship of a holy and an awesome God. And we are delighted that you have joined with us this morning. And I think in about one hour, you are going to be delighted if you stay because the food is unbelievable that's back in that kitchen right now. And even if you came, if you came this morning and you did not plan to stay, please do. Make a call, not during the service, but make a call, text somebody, say, oh, sorry, I'm going to be a little longer. Stay here and uh, join with us in this next hour. And let me go ahead and say right now, after this service is over, we're going to need folks to exit. We need Several, a lot of guys, if you would, to stay and help us set up chairs and tables and get ready for um, the potluck that'll be uh, the feast that will be right after this service. And I do want to say that uh, we would ask, as I've been warning people about, football players go last in line, if you would. Just kidding. Wherever you can get in, get in. Just don't tackle somebody to get in. Well, is there anyone in Scripture with whom you identify? What Bible character reminds you most of the person that you look at in the mirror every day? I mean, it'd be awesome if we could say, well, Joseph, you know, because of his strong stand for the Lord, even when it cost him, and that's me. Or Mary, because there's nothing I love better than to just sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. More than likely, we would say something like, well, Peter, I'm kind of identify with him because open mouth, insert foot, that's my M.O. Or Martha, because it's so easy for me to be distracted that I miss what's really important in life. Now, now before I go any further, let me just say that a lot of people get caught up in looking at a particular person in Scripture and they take it too far. They draw too many lessons. The whole point of Scripture is to point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But there has to be a reason that we are given so many details about the lives of ordinary, very ordinary men and women who had extraordinary faith and did extraordinary things for God. There's a reason for that. I would imagine that when we look at the characters in the Bible, it's the human traits of those whose lives have been recorded in God's eternal word, though, that bring us a measure of comfort. I mean, sometimes we look at these Bible characters and we could say, I could never do that. Most likely a lot of them said the same thing before they were called upon to do what it was that God had for them. But when we see great men and women failing, it's kind of like, well, okay, that, that helps me a little bit to know that even the best uh, have struggles. Today we're going to begin a study 
on a book written by, by one of the, the Bible's most prominent individuals, the Apostle Peter. We're going to spend most of this fall looking at the first of two letters that Peter wrote to Christ followers of the first, mid-first century, right smack in the middle of the Roman Empire. First Peter. Yeah, we're going to find some awesome truths in this book. Some that will be informative, some that will be convicting, some that will be encouraging, and some, hopefully, that will be absolutely transformative. It ought to be our goal for those of you who, who hang with us. I know a lot of you are sort of checking it out today. But if you decide to hang with us, it ought to be our goal to be different men and women when we come on the backside of this study somewhere around Thanksgiving. When I go through a book of the Bible, I usually like to introduce that book over a period of several weeks, not talk too much about the author the first day or where he was when he wrote it, what the circumstances were surrounding it, because you can just get, get bogged down. So I like to do that over a period of several weeks rather than right up front. But before we even begin this book, I want us to think about the man because there's so much about the Apostle Peter. I want us to think about the man that God used to communicate the truth of this incredible book to us. Although we're not going to be looking at, at, at text in First Peter today, we're going to begin our time this morning by reading the first 19 verses of chapter 1 of First Peter. It is our custom to stand, and we'll do so in just a moment when we read the Word. The verses will be on the screen. If you have your Bible, please turn over there. First Peter's almost towards the very end. Work from Revelation back. You will not have trouble finding it. Uh, and read in your own uh, Bible. I am reading from the English Standard Version. So if you would, please stand and we will read First Peter, verses 1 to 19. And I just stopped at 19. Could have gone on the whole chapter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that there were, they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, 
preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's pray. Our Father... Thank you for your word. It always convicts. It always encourages and uplifts. And Lord, this morning, as we have read the words that you spoke through your servant, Peter, our hearts are grateful all over again for Jesus and for your love in sending him and his love in living that perfect life and dying the death that could only be an acceptable sacrifice and an acceptable substitute for my own sins and the sins of all who are here. Lord, may we believe. And Father, as we consider the life of your servant, Peter, once again, we're always pointed back to Jesus. And so may we take encouragement and instruction this morning from this one who at times seemed to be so up and down, but was deeply in love with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks and be seated. The fact that Peter was the most prominent of the twelve apostles that followed Jesus is, is hardly disputed. I mean, everybody recognizes that. We see his name popping up over and over in the Gospels and in the, in the, especially the first part of the book of Acts and, and even in, in Paul's writings, Peter's name pops up, though it's not for the best of reasons. But Peter was one of the three that the Lord of the twelve, he, he took this group of three, Peter, James, and John, often to places that no one else got to go to, such as the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Peter often seemed to speak for the other apostles, such as when he boasted that he would follow Jesus no matter what. And then he also seemed to act for the other apostles when he denied Jesus, even though he had said he would follow him all the way to death. Uh, Peter almost always had something to say in the years that Jesus was on the earth. He was always speaking. Sometimes his comments were profound And sometimes they revealed an ignorance about the Lord that wasn't cleared up and clarified in his own heart and mind until after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to indwell him. At Pentecost, Peter preached the sermon, the gospel sermon that God used to bring thousands of Jews to himself through Jesus. And then he also used Peter, God also used Peter to speak to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And all of us this morning, or almost all of us this morning, we have a few of our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning, but the rest of us are so grateful that God sent the gospel, not only to, to the people that he had his covenant with early on, but to all Men of all, all men and women of races, all races throughout the earth. And Gentiles were brought into the fold. And Peter was the one who preached the gospel that day. Even though initially he thought 
I probably shouldn't do this. God convinced him. And then Peter convinced the church at Jerusalem that that was the right thing to do. Uh, the widespread acceptance and appreciation of First and Second Peter in the early church uh, has uh, led all of us to believe that Peter was an extremely important person, though we can say most assuredly that he was not the first pope. What do we know about Peter? Well, a lot, actually. Uh, we know first that he was a passionate man. We've, we've already been talking about it. Peter was the guy in the group that sometimes you said, Hey, hey, that's our guy. That's our guy. That's Peter. Man, he's with us. And there are other times that, that you know, you would say, Yeah, he's with us. Um, and, and, you know, out, passionate, outgoing people are like that. Sometimes they're going to do great things. Sometimes they're going to do things like, what were you thinking? I would never do that. Well, no, but you probably wouldn't do some of the, some of the great things either. You always knew where Peter stood. And Peter was always willing to try something new. I mean, Matthew 14 records the time where they were on the boat. The, the apostles were on the boat and the storm came up in the Sea of Galilee. And that huge lake, it was, storms could be quite bad. And, and they were scared. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking. And they think it's a spirit, but they recognize that it's Jesus. And, 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 and I'm sure Peter was overcome with a good emotion saying, oh, oh, thank goodness, it's, it's Jesus. And then he got an idea. He said, hey, Jesus, if that's you, command me to come to you. And he said, Peter, come. And you know the story. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and then he looked at the waves and began to sink. Jesus rebuked him for his lack of faith after he rescued him, put him back in the boat. Now, how do you think the rest of the apostles uh, remembered that? I mean, you think when Peter started something, they would say, Hey, Peter, remember the time you walked on the boat? You're just nothing but a loser, man. Don't try that again. You make a fool of yourself every time you do something. I, I doubt it. I imagine they were saying, can you believe Peter walked on water? I mean, it didn't surprise them that Jesus had walked on water, but Peter walked on water. I'm sure they were, man, I wish I had stepped out of that boat. Wish I'd had the guts to do that. Peter was passionate. Sometimes that was a blessing. Sometimes it got him into trouble. Like in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus was arrested. You know what Peter did? He pulled out a sword, cut off the ear, and I'm sure he was swinging for the neck of the servant of the, of the high priest. Once again, Jesus rebuked him and he said, No, Peter, that's not the way. Don't you know I could take care of business if I needed to? But look, you've got to understand something. I, I never question anything that God says or does. I, I do understand why Peter probably thought that he needed to pull his sword. In Luke 22, it records on the night of, uh, of, of, of Jesus' arrest, Jesus was talking with them after communion, after the Last Supper, in the Lord's table. And he said, look, if you've got a coat, sell it and get a sword. And someone said, we've got two swords. And he said, that'll do. Not exactly sure what he was saying there. I haven't studied it. And I'm just saying this off the top. But he, he, um, he said, that'll do. And I'm sure that, look, all the apostles thought that it was going to be a military kingdom. And so he thought, this is it. And he pulls out his sword. Nobody else did. Peter did. Lopped the guy's ear off. And then Jesus. Can you, now can you imagine that scene? Where, first of all, when they came, they said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Literally is what he said. I am. Just as God had said back in, 
in Exodus 3.14. And they fell backwards because of the power of what he said. It's like that power we heard in that song this morning. There was so much more, even greater power than, than that when Jesus said, I am. They fell down. And then they went ahead and arrested him. I mean, I think I would have said, uh, uh not me. I'm not arresting him. But Peter tried to take matters into his own hands and certainly he was wrong, but you can't say that he lacked passion. <laughs> it's funny how quickly things change though, isn't it? And how our emotions change. Just an hour or two later, Peter is standing there by the fire and someone said, you were with him. And he said, no, I don't know him. And he passionately denied Jesus. Whatever Peter did, he did all the ways. We're going to see repeatedly in our recollection of his life. In addition to being a passionate man, Peter was also a student of the Word. You know, I'm not certain that when you think about the Apostle Peter, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. That he was a student of the Word. We know he was a fisherman. Certainly he was literate. We, we know that from his book, but but even those who question that really shouldn't. I mean, common men and women were literate in that era, especially Hebrew men and women. And and he was a fisherman, but he was also very emotional, and he, and he seemed to work on the basis of his emotions, not so much being guided and directed from Scripture. And yet, Peter clearly was a student of the words. Word, and he saw things sometimes before anybody else did. You'll recall that when Jesus asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? And they gave all these answers, Elijah and John the Baptist, all these different ones, a great prophet. And he said, but who do you say? And Peter stepped out and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus went on to say, Peter, you don't know this on your own. God has revealed this to you. But he said, blessed are you. And upon this confession of faith, upon what you have just said, my church is going to be built. At Pentecost, Peter was the person that God used to share the gospel of Jesus, which was a brand new message to the world. And he shared it with the Jews who were gathered at the temple on that day. When we think about Pentecost, we rightly think about the power of the Holy Spirit. But you got to know this. The Spirit didn't put Peter in a trance and just make him say certain things. Peter already had this knowledge. Again, the Holy Spirit had given it to him, but he had given it to him through study. The sermon at Peter, Pentecost was a deeply theological sermon, including passages from the book of Joel and from two different Psalms. Now, remember, at Jesus' ascension, which was roughly about a week before Pentecost, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to establish the kingdom still. They said, Lord, is this it? Is this now the time that you're going to establish the kingdom? Now are you going to be king and rule over this whole world? And Jesus said, don't worry about that. You share the gospel. You just share the gospel to the far ends of the earth, starting Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way around the world. Now, between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost... You remember 120 men and women, we're told in Acts 1, gathered together in an upper room. Whenever you hear people talk about that, you hear them talking about prayer. And clearly there was prayer going on there. 
They were waiting for the Spirit. I don't know that they were asking for the Spirit to come. They had been promised that the Spirit would come and they were told to wait. But clearly something else was going on. They were searching the Scriptures. Jesus had told the two apostles on the road to Emmaus, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, look, you should have known. I was all the way through the Old Testament, the prophets, the writings, the Psalms, the law. I was there the whole way. So they got busy. And the Holy Spirit helped them to figure out. Yet, okay, now it, it's beginning to make sense. So on that day of Pentecost, the gospel was clearly preached in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit used the preached word to bring 3,000 men and, and, and who knows how many women and children to Jesus. Got saved on the spot because of Peter preaching that which the Holy Spirit had allowed him to understand through the Word. Peter was a student of the Word and he had a very high regard for the Word. I don't know if you're going to end up at Grace Community Church. I want to say this. If you don't end up here, that's okay. We want you to be exactly where God wants you to be. We would love to have you here. And, And I will tell you this, if you come here this year... I want you to understand that we want you to be a part of the body. We don't want you to be a part of the group that kind of comes in and we never know you. Please, we want to get to know you. I Obviously, there's no way I can know all of you, so take some time to get all, to know all of the other adults. The rule for me is, you take me for a steak dinner, I will remember you. That's never, I've never been taken up on that. Many years, 11 years here, but it's always the first time, you know. So, but go wherever you go. If it's not Grace Community Church, please go to a place where they have a high regard for the Word of God. This is God's way of communicating to us. It's the only way we can know how we're to relate to Him. It's the only way we can know what He expects of us. And He speaks very clearly through His Word. Please, don't end up in a place where they say, ah, you know, it was written by men, a lot of problems with it, a lot of errors in there, a lot of mythology. and Go where they, they have a high regard. Peter had a high regard for the Word, as we're going to see, even in chapter 1, talking about, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. First Peter is laden with rich theology. Martin Luther said that this book contains everything a Christian needs to know. He also said it's on par. I doubt he, he, he used that term, but it's what he meant. It's on par. It's equal to the book of Romans and, and the gospel of John. And I'm assuming he means for theological content and importance. And that is quite a strong statement about this book. Peter was a student of the Word. He was also, as we have seen over and over, very Human. We know all about Peter's failures. He would make these spectacular claims and then he would fail spectacularly. He denied Jesus in a big way. And that's recorded for all time. Wow, I mean, that's... How would you like that? Isn't it odd, as we've already acknowledged, that Peter's failure serves in some strange way to comfort us? It's not that we look for an excuse to sin, but when we do fall, it's nice to know that even someone who was 
is in love with the Lord as Peter was and as greatly used as Peter was, also fail. Once, once again, we're encouraged by realizing that he was very human, but he was also forgiven. On the night before Jesus was arrested, just before Peter made his boast about, I'll follow you to the death, Judas had walked out of the room. And he went to betray Jesus. And, and, and Peter knew this in just a few short hours. They didn't, none of them knew who it was going to be that would betray. When Jesus said, so one of you is going to betray me, they all said, not me, is it? Please say it's not me. They didn't know it was Judas, but, but Peter was there in the garden when they arrested him. When Judas came up and he kissed him and Jesus said, do you betray me with a kiss, friend? Peter was right there so he knew who the traitor was. And I'm certain after Peter denied Jesus, he went off and thought, you know, I'm no better than Judas. I've betrayed the Lord, but Peter's denial was different from Judas' betrayal. We, we make that same mistake, thinking when we've done something awful that it means that we've just completely betrayed the Lord. Well, we may have denied Him, but we didn't betray Him. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Mark 16, verses 6 to 7. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had gone to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And when they got there, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. And so they walked inside the tomb and they, they saw an angel sitting there. Scripture says it was a man dressed in white. We know it was an angel. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 6. He said to them, the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Can you imagine what Peter thought when he heard that message? Me? Really? He singled me out? The Lord wants to see me. I didn't think He'd ever want to see me again. He's alive and He wants to see me. And the Scripture tells us that Peter took off running for the tomb as fast as he could. You know, even if you couldn't identify with those first two points about Peter, uh, that, that you're passionate or a person who is deeply into the Word, I, I bet you can find yourself in these last two, especially the... The, the human part. Maybe you're here today and you don't have any confidence that your sins are forgiven because you've never really thought about it. I mean, you've thought about a relationship with God in terms of, well, you know, I'm not the best person in the world, but I'm certainly better than most. I'm better than so-and-so and I'm better than so-and-so. So certainly God will allow me into heaven. But it's not that way. As we will see at the very beginning of this book, that's not the way salvation comes at all. It comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Repentance of our sins to acknowledge that we are the kind of sinner that God says we are, which is one who is worthy and deserving of being separated from God in hell for eternity. To acknowledge our sin before that and then to acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for us is what it means to be a Christ follower, to to be committed to Him. Now we come saying, Lord, I give my life entirely to You. I've, I, I've made a mess of it and I need You. And it does, you don't have to have been in drugs and everything else in order to acknowledge that 
when you go your own way and not God's way, it is a mess no matter what. No matter what it looks like to everybody else. But I'm giving my life to you. If you've not done so, then He may be calling you this morning. Calling you to Himself. Calling you to become a child of God through your, a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here and you don't, you, what I just said doesn't make that much sense. In fact, you're not familiar with these stories and it all just seems... Next week, I promise, we'll be in a couple of verses and we won't go all over the place talking about things that you may or may not be aware of. But if you don't know Jesus and you want to know more about it, you have some questions, or if I've confused you and you say, I need somebody to clear that up, please either talk to the person who brought you, and if the two of you don't know, then come see me or or come to me and I will connect you with the person who can tell you what it means to be a Christian and explain God's incredible, wonderful plan of salvation to you. Many of you, though, maybe most of you, know Jesus as your Savior. And even so, guilt is your constant companion. It goes with you everywhere you go because of your personality, because of something that, that, that you did sometime. You just can't get away from guilt. And maybe you need to know, as Peter found out on that day that Jesus was resurrected, that He so is so willing to forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, He will take it away just like that. I, I've learned over the years that God's grace and His love and His forgiveness are far greater motivators and motivations to me to live a life that's pleasing to Him than guilt is. I mean, guilt just won't get you there. I can't do that. I just feel too too guilty if I do it. In fact, God's grace in thinking about that brings us to the next point about Peter, which is that he was committed to purity and holiness. Just because Peter blew it, He didn't give himself, nor did he give his readers an excuse to live a careless life. We've already read in chapter 1 of 1 Peter that the grace of God is more than sufficient motivation to live holy lives. And he calls us to that. God calls us to live holy lives, not careless or just halfway. We talked about that last week. And the kingdom of God, you either in the kingdom of God serving the Lord or you're in the kingdom of, of the world, which ultimately becomes the kingdom of me. You you can't live with one foot in both kingdoms. When you get in this kingdom of God, you're going to stumble and fall. But that's that's a lot different than trying to live with one foot here and one foot back there. We're called to live holy lives. We can't do it apart from God's grace, but God's grace is given to every person who knows Jesus as Savior and enables us to do what is impossible to do in our own strength. And about time we start serving God in our own strength, He allows us to fall so that we can be reminded we got no prayer, no hope without Him. Peter understood all about God's grace. He was so grateful for it. It was one of the points I wanted to make, which is why he closed his book by telling his readers that he had written to them the true grace of God. His letter, he said, I've written to you the true grace of God. And then he 
gave him the admonition in chapter 5, right at the end. Stand firm in it. Peter's determination was based on the last thing we'll consider this morning, which is that Peter was in love with Jesus. When you think about the time that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, how does your, how does your mind play that out, especially with Peter's interaction with the Lord? I mean, most of us, you've probably heard it preached that, that Jesus came to, to the disciples and he came to Peter and Peter says, you ain't washing my feet. And the Lord said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And then he said, well, okay, go ahead, head, hands, whatever. I mean, it's almost we get that impression. I don't think that was the scene at all. I mean, you got to understand what was happening here. This washing feet was reserved for the lowest of the slaves, the low slave on the totem pole. People came in with dirty feet. They would say, hey, hey, go get so-and-so. You know, the, the guy, I don't even know his name, the guy they just brought in yesterday, that slave, that new slave. Make him wash the feet. I mean, these guys wouldn't have thought about doing it. Andrew, if, if, if Andrew had gotten up, somebody would have said, Andrew, stop it, you're embarrassing yourself. But Jesus got up. I mean, can you just hear the silence as he takes his coat off, puts a towel around his waist, and he starts putting his hands in the water, maybe a cloth. He begins to wash their feet. They were stunned. And... He comes to Peter. And Peter's been thinking about this. Nobody says anything because how are you going to... can't rebuke the Lord. And Peter says, Lord, you wash my feet. I, I can't allow that. It's not right. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then I have no part with you. We have no part together. And Peter said, Lord, not my feet, but my hands, my head, whatever is necessary. And God said, no. Jesus said, no, that's, and God said, same thing. No, that's not necessary. If you've been washed already, only your feet get dirty. That's, I think, very much a reference to the idea that even as believers, that we are to confess our sins. Because our feet get dirty. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but our feet get dirty in this world. And they need to be washed. We need to be forgiven. But can you sense Peter's heart when he said, Lord, I can't bear to think about being without you. I love you too much. It reminds me of John 6 when Jesus had fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. And then he separated himself from the people and man they they just were determined to find him and finally they caught up with him in big numbers and he said look the reason you're coming to me is because you think i'm going to feed you every day now food was much tougher to come by in that day you probably if you're just getting the campbell you're not complaining about marsh banks too much right now but you will just think about when you do about these guys never had they didn't even know if they could find enough bread and water to stay alive. And so you can understand how they were impressed with what Jesus had done and said, hey, we want to make you king. And he said, no, you, you, you come into me for the wrong reason. And then he said some very difficult things. He said, if you want to have part with me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they thought, the man's crazy. Now, he was not saying, as the Catholics tend to interpret, that 
when we come to communion, that's what we're doing, eating that that bread and, and, and fruit of the vine become the body and the blood of Jesus. But he was certainly saying that if you're going to be related to me, it's going to be a very tight, intimate relationship. And communion may have been involved there. Again, literally, Jesus said a lot of things that people took literally, but then they understood later, okay, well, that's, that's figurative. I see the spiritual connection now. But they started walking away one by one, and I, I, it's kind of understandable. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Will you leave me also? And Peter, once again, is the one who stepped up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. It just makes sense to walk away from you, but I am never going to abandon you. You have the words of life. I believe you even when it doesn't make sense. And I love you far too deeply to ever be apart from you. Peter loved Jesus. We're going to see that over and over again in this book, 1 Peter. And as we begin this study, let's ask the Lord to give us that heart of love, that passionate, fiery heart for Jesus, even if we're not natured that way, personality-wise. To give us, ask Him to give us a passionate love for Jesus. And because of this, this godly man who was very human, but forgiven and in love with the Lord, we're going to be able to read God's Word to us and hopefully find in Jesus the same wonderful Savior and friend that Peter found. Let's bow for prayer. If you would, with your heads bowed and, and eyes closed, would you ask the Lord to give you a love for Jesus, an all-consuming love for Jesus, a wild and unabandoned and unrestrained love for the one who died for you. Oh, Father, when we look at ourselves, we, we feel hindered in our love for you and our love for, for Jesus. And yet, that's the very reason that you sent Jesus and the reason that he came. Lord, give us a heart that seeks after you, not that seeks after the things of, of this world, the things of our own flesh, but a heart that wants to know Jesus, even when it means suffering with him. We're going to see in this book so many times how, how there's such joy in suffering, but the joy is in Jesus. It's knowing Him. It's being close to Him. May our conversation today, may our lives today, may our thoughts today be pointed toward You. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction?